Welcome everyone to the service this evening. I'm so glad that the weather's cooperating. I was worried that some pretty nasty hailstorms were going to roll in and they kind of threatened it, but uh, we cannot worry about our cars out there, I think, for this evening, and we can, we can turn our thoughts to the scripture. I'm pretty excited about this chapter. Um, it's, it's fairly long, 36 verses, um, and that's definitely long enough to, to break up into two studies, and it has kind of two sections, but the two segments really go hand to hand, and uh, so we're going to cover all 36 verses tonight. Um, the content is really deep, immense. We could spend days on it. So my prayer is that I cover it well, and we all leave here with, with the knowledge that God intends us to have from this chapter. Some of the stuff that we'll look at, I think by the end of it, you may have a, a different thought or kind of look at it differently by the end, time we get through it all. Now in this chapter, chapter 3, John 3, um, John recounts an interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus about being born again. And at the end of the chapter, he talks of of John the Baptist, who's been busy baptizing and exalting Jesus. And I want to start by reading through that that first part of Nicodemus and Jesus. I want to just read that whole kind of scenario and then come back and we'll talk about Nicodemus and break this scene down a little bit. And then we'll move on to the the second part, get back to John the Baptist. Uh, So I've got all our verses here up on the board tonight. If you want to follow along, it's the New King James Version. And uh, we'll just start reading here in John 3. In verse 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born When he's old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This is probably sounding pretty familiar to you all. So it continues, verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell from where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so much the Son of Man, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. And as Mo... Oh, started over there. Um, That's right. 
I, must, I thought I had my slides out of order. No, I wanted to back up a second. Just uh, take, just pause and go back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I just want to, I just want to kind of take a little tangent here about this before we start talking about Nicodemus. This is a very familiar sight to me growing up. You see on TV, everybody sees this kind of stuff, right? And y'all probably know pretty well by now that I don't watch TV hardly at all. And in fact, I don't even care about sports. If that's shocking or offensive or whatever, I'm sorry. It's the way it is. The fact that I don't watch TV and still, still have this on my mind when I think of John 3.16, I think that's, that's fairly interesting. Now, also the fact that I don't watch TV, I kind of am just guessing here, but I don't think we see this that often anymore. I mean, maybe you people that watch a lot of sports games are probably saying, yeah, I still see it there a little bit, but I think that it's just not out there as much. And I wonder, is it, uh, are there people out there holding the sign up and the TV producers are avoiding it, keeping it off the air, trying not to show it? Or maybe it's, it's really no different, but back in the day, they, they went out of their way to show it. They'd find these people and put them up there. I don't really know. But most of you, I assume, probably knew this verse you know, before we read it tonight. It's the most memorable, you know, iconic verse out there. If, if anybody knows only one verse, this is probably the one they know. But, uh, you know, sometimes I'll see a bumper sticker or a billboard or something with some scripture on it that I don't know. And the first thing I want to do is I want to look it up and, and see. And I want to see what's the relevance here. What, what's this person saying has to do with this, their car or, or whatever. And as a kid... I wondered, and, and I was not curious enough to look it up for a while, but I wondered, what in the world does John 3.16 have to do with football? Turns out, nothing. <laughs> it's a pretty effective tactic, though, in getting somebody to look it up. And uh, I, I just find that really interesting, and, uh, and I wonder if you think about it, well, how long have you known that verse? Why did you know it? What, what, what made you remember it? And uh, made, me, made me think of trying to remember how long I, I've known that verse, and it's probably been about 26 years ago. I was in high school, and I had this, uh, this period where I was an office aide, and there was this other kid in there at the same time, and we didn't get along very well until we were forced to be civil in the same office together. Anyway, I don't know how John 3.16 came up, but uh, somebody that worked in that office asked this other kid if he knew it, and he recited the first part of it. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I was pretty impressed because I didn't think very highly of this guy. Uh, but the lady that asked was, was semi-impressed, but immediately asked if he knew the rest of the verse. And he didn't, but I did. And I chimed in and said, and whosoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. Um, maybe missed the shall not perish part. I don't remember, but I, I got it right. And I don't know why I knew that, but I really just kind of wanted to go off on that tangent to see if that, if that lady still remembered. So, Linda, do you remember that? <laughs> she was the one. <laughs> I was, a, I was a high school kid, and she was working in the office and grilling us on scripture, and we kind of passed between me and this other kid. That's fun, but um, it's a neat thing to see that and, and know, and then know later in life it has nothing to do with football, um, but it does make you wonder how that kind of stuff gets in, embedded in your head, and uh, it's, it's interesting and important, but... We will come back to this again and, and talk more on John 3.16 at the end because I, I do have something to kind of tie this together. But let's go back and talk about Nicodemus. So we ran through those, those first verses and just recited this interaction. Um, and when you read through this, all right, this is fairly interesting. This Pharisee, Nicodemus, he's a ruler of the Jew. He comes by night. He's talking to Jesus. 
calls him rabbi, and Jesus goes in there and starts talking about, about baptism, and a, sort of an argument ensues. Well, who was Nicodemus? All right, so he was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And immediately on reading that, you know, my mind's like, okay, I know the Pharisees are the rulers of the Jews. There's also the Sadducees. I, I really can't remember all the differences. Um, I don't think very highly of either one of them, uh, but maybe I should brush up on the two. And so, for the record, I did remember correctly the differences, but not, not in very great detail. The Pharisees and the Sadducees together made up the Sanhedrin, or the ruling council. But there was definitely some significant differences in their beliefs. And the one difference that I think is, is really most relevant here is that the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They thought that when you died, that's the end of it. And I think that's pretty sad, and it helps me remember which one is which. Sad, you see? Okay, dad joke. But it does help me remember. But Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and that means that he's coming to Jesus at least with the belief that he can go to heaven when he dies. And that's important in in trying to understand his mindset and where he's coming from here. Uh, To further frame that mindset, let's look at John 1, where John the Baptist was getting grilled by the priests. Uh, John 1 and 19, it says, Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So it's established. John the Baptist is not the Messiah. So what they've got here is a problem with his authority to baptize. Uh, Jump down to verse 24 there in John 1. Now those who were sent from the Pharisees, who were, those who were sent were from the Pharisees, so the same group of people that Nicodemus is. They asked him, saying, what, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So this is like, you don't have the right to be baptized. Now the thing is, the Jews would baptize proselytes or Gentiles converting to Judaism, but baptism wasn't foreign to them. It's just that they had this authority issue. If John the Baptist is not the Christ or Elijah or prophet, then why does he think he can go around baptizing Jews? You know, they are the descendants of, of Abraham. They are, they feel like they're already right with God, that they don't need to be baptized in that. And they, they, uh, they're really confused by this, but it, it's upsetting to them. It's, it's out of their structure and they don't like it. And looking at Luke 7, we see that the Pharisees couldn't come to grips with this authority issue and, and they rejected the will of God and refused baptism. Luke 7 and 29, and when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Uh, Now, I know this is a little bit small, but I wanted to kind of cram it on there, so I'll read it to you. Matthew 21 and 23. It says, Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from, from heaven or men? And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? We just just read about where where they rejected the baptism of John. But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they didn't want to say that, that John's baptism is not a thing it's for men because everybody will be unhappy with that but they don't want to say it's from God because well if it is then why didn't they obey so they didn't they didn't say 
Uh, so they answered to Jesus and said, we do not know. He knew they would say that. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay. <laughs> Continuing on, uh, Matthew 21, uh, jump down to 28. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted, and he went, and he worked. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. All right, so the first said, I don't want to do it, no. But he ended up doing it. And the second one said, yeah, I'm good. But he wasn't. They said, the first is, is, did the will. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Tax collectors and harlots, they're, they're not living right. They're like the son that says, no, dad, I'm not going to do what you say. But they believed, and they repented and, and um, accepted the baptism. And so they were the ones that did the will of the Father. But Jesus is making this comparison here of what they think is righteous versus, you know, what is actually being done. Now, the point to all of this is that Nicodemus was coming to Jesus in the middle of this huge baptism argument. Everybody is trying to figure out what's going on with John the Baptist, what, what, whether baptism's right or wrong. They're arguing about it. And this was going on. This is context. Uh, but Nicodemus, well, he was seeking Jesus. And that is something in itself. <clears throat> so still thinking about where Nicodemus is coming from here, uh, but jumping back to the end of that first segment that we read, back to, to verse 19 here, um, I just wanted to call out the fact that I don't think it's just kind of a matter of fact that Nicodemus came at night. And there's nothing consequential about that, and, but we're just going to go ahead and record it anyway that John wrote, well, he came and he came and just happened to be at night. Um, I think that's really intentionally noted by John in the very first verse that he came at night. Um, I can imagine it would have been kind of a tight spot for Nicodemus if all the other Jewish leaders were seeing this and aware of this visit. He's got this baptism problem, right? His team is anti-baptism, but he's seeking Jesus. He's coming to him. He's not very comfortable with that yet, and he's going under the cover of darkness, but he's seeking the light. There's other scriptures that indicate Nicodemus was sympathetic to Jesus. Um, just kind of glaze over those. In John 7 and 50, um, Nicodemus went against the group where he was basically saying, you know, let Jesus state his case, and the rest of them, they didn't like that, and they, they kind of turned on him. Then after Jesus' death, uh, John 19 and 39, Nicodemus brings this really expensive gift of the spices and, and thanks for his burial. Um, he, he, you know, after the death, it looked like he was, he was sad, he was sympathetic, he... Um, probably became a Christian. We don't know that, but he looked like he, he was, through all this context, interested in what Jesus had to say and, and maybe believing. So that's where he's coming from. This is Nicodemus in this late night meeting. All right, so that's his mindset. Now, what about Jesus' mindset? In the last verse of chapter 2, there's a clue to his mindset coming into here. Uh, it says in John 2 and 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. 
Jesus always knows us. And when Nicodemus walked in, no different. He knew right off the bat. He comes in, and he's either being really polite and respectful, calling him rabbi, saying, we know you're a teacher from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God's with them. Or maybe he's buttering them up. I don't know, but this is how the interaction starts. Nicodemus comes in and says these, these formalities. Jesus cuts right to the chase. You've got to be baptized. He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God. You're doing all these signs. You've got to be baptized. He knows already why he's there. Now, Nicodemus is probably a pretty righteous, devoted worshiper of God. I think that's pretty obvious. But this was a problem in his salvation. This was preventing and blocking his salvation, and Jesus wanted to deal with it head on. So doesn't beat around the bush. He just tells him. And then we get some confirmation in, in the response from Nicodemus that that is the reason that he's there. Otherwise, you know, why would you immediately go into an argument about it? So he says, Rabbi, you're a teacher. We know you're from God. Jesus says, you've got to be baptized. And then he says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Um, in response specifically to the words of Jesus saying being born again. <clears throat> now, the next few statements show that Jesus doesn't have a lot of patience for the argument, but he is plainly putting it for him, saying that he must be born of water and of the Spirit, and tells him not to marvel at it. Uh, as we read earlier, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, in the study, I was surprised to learn that there's some people claiming uh, that born of the water here is actually referring to natural birth, which involves amniotic fluid. They say, well, you're born naturally, like everyone is, and then you're born of the Spirit when you're saved, and that's, the, that's being born again. That seems like a little bit of a stretch to me to kind of try to make that argument, and I, you, know, you wonder why would anybody try to make that stretch. And the only reason I can see is that they're trying to claim that you don't need baptism to be saved, and I'm not going there tonight. There's not enough time. You must be baptized. That's that's fact. The Bible is clear in that matter. In terms of this chapter, the context surrounding the whole controversy of baptism, all this stuff that we talked about before, it makes it pretty clear that that's what Jesus is talking about when he says born of the water. It means baptized. When you receive, wherein, being baptized, that's when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I think it's, uh, I think it's very clear that Jesus is telling Nicodemus, to be saved, you got to be baptized in the water. And that is... That is being born again. <clears throat> Nicodemus answered and said, Well, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. All right, now to clarify a little bit here, because this is kind of confusing. Jesus told him not to marvel at these things, but basically said, it's okay that you don't understand. Nobody really gets it when you haven't been to heaven, and nobody has ascended yet. Now, the wording here makes it look like that he is saying that he has ascended, but chronologically, we know he's still before the crucifixion here. He, he has not um, 
risen again, and then ascended later. That hasn't happened yet. So the wording here is a little, a little strange to dig into it, but uh, what Jesus is saying is that nobody has ascended, so sure, they don't get it, but the Son of Man came down from there, so he gets it. That is exactly what that means there. <clears throat> now, verse 14, uh, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And that's just foreshadowing of his crucifixion. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. Nobody understood that at this point. Again, back to our, back to our favorite verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, this is something that I thought really was interesting in this study. Um, arguably, most well-known verse in the Bible here, and some scholars say that these words were not actually spoken by Jesus. Most of the Bibles are read, but not all of them. Some of them, it's not in red print. Um, so they're saying that Jesus ended what he said right there in verse 15, and that John, these are John the John's words in recording this, and if you think about it, whether that's true or not, I'm not saying it is, because I don't know, that's just something that you may run across, these letters aren't read in your Bible, they are in this other Bible, so I think we need to talk about that, but the Bible is God's inspired word, every word in there is God's words, so whether Jesus spoke them while on earth or not is a little bit irrelevant. If those scholars that believe these are John's words and not Jesus' words are correct, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't matter. Um, of course, I don't know, and I'm not going to make a guess at it. It's God's word either way. But I hope that even if you had this verse already permanently on your heart, you're looking at it in the context now of the baptism argument. And in that context, I think it's deeper and more powerful than ever before. And so if this was John saying, this happened, Jesus and Nicodemus, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus explained to Nicodemus, you have to be baptized because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And we need to believe in him, believe in that, submit to baptism, become a Christian by, by following that, that representation of his death. So that crazy nighttime interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus has got so much to consider and learn from. And it's really amazing how far things go once you, you start pulling on a thread. Now, John the Baptist is another story along the same thread. And that's where John chapter 3 jumps to next. So, next topic, we move to John the Baptist, uh, verse 22. The Bible says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. So here we see some more about baptism disputes. There was a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. We're not really clear who's making what arguments here, but it's a, it's a controversial thing. These people are following John the Baptist, they're getting pretty worked up over Jesus' presence and the people coming to him, all these people that are flocking to Jesus for baptism. John's not getting caught up in that in the same way because he knows and he makes very clear that he said it before and will continue to say that Jesus is the one and that John's just, just there to do his part. He answers them, verse 27, John answered and said, 
A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. That's pretty long soliloquy there. Exalting Jesus, putting himself lower than Jesus, trying to be very clear. And honestly, he probably can't say it enough. Jesus is from heaven. John is from earth. Jesus must increase. John must decrease. He knows that, that people have passionately believed in what he's preached and they were being baptized for the right reasons, but he's being careful to not let them hold him up like they would for Jesus. He's not to be held in that same regard. He says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son is everlasting life and he who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Multitudes of people were following John, getting baptized, hanging on his every word. And yet John did not let that affect his perspective on things. When you can see and understand clearly that it's always God at work, it's, it's easier to be humble. John didn't put any faith in himself, and he certainly didn't want anyone else doing it. Jesus is the Son of God, and believing in him is the only way to be saved. He who does not believe the Son won't see life, only wrath. As I said, I, I think that Nicodemus believed at some point eventually. Um, I don't know that, but I bet he probably did. I hope he did. I believe, and I think we all do, but as we close our, our study here, as, as is our custom, we're going to offer the invitation. Now, baptism is not just important, it's essential, and if you haven't taken that step yet, please don't wait. If you have anything that we can pray for, if there's anything that the church can do for you, we'd ask that you would come and sit at the front row when we stand and sing. What can wash away my sin?